Welcome to the Vision Quest video series, a step-by-step -step guide to holistic health. This program will discuss massage therapy. Hi, my name is Tony Gallardi. I'm a psychotherapist, talk show host, and writer. I've been working with people in adult transition and crisis for about 15 years. I did a talk show for two years called The Tony Gallardi Show that interviewed risk takers, people who had left chaotic lives and, and passioned their lives with brand new vocations. And then I went on to start a book called Lifequake, which is all about a seven-stage map to a whole new way of being an adult. In this film, we'll be covering five different kinds of massage. You'll be seeing examples of Swedish and remedial massage, which is a light touch massage. Aromatherapy massage, which involves essential oils being given to the patient. Reflexology, which is pressure points on the feet. The Bowen technique, which comes from Australia. And lastly, the Shiatsu massage, which is a deep tissue massage coming from the Orient. Massage is perhaps the oldest and simplest form of medical treatment. In ancient cultures, and especially in the East, massage has been used for thousands of years. However, in the West, the benefits of massage have only recently been discovered. Massage therapy is the care of the body that's using the flow of energy through the operator's hands to improve the total state of mind, body and spirit. The definition of massage therapy would be any form of body work where you're working on a person's body as a form of therapeutic healing or relaxing technique. It could incorporate numerous types of techniques such as Swedish massage, including remedial massage. It could be the Japanese equivalent, uh, shiatsu, including acupressure and meridian type massage or zen shiatsu. It could be reflexology working on the feet with treating the feet in a similar manner. You could include things like aromatherapy using oils and a lighter sort of a flowing technique and using specific oils for specific purposes. All of these could be referred to as body therapy, massage therapy. In recent research, massage is providing extraordinary benefits simply by the act of touch. Patients in hospitals who have had massages report an increase in morale during an illness and a hastening rate of recovery. For massage, as one discovers during its practice, is not only a physical therapy, but also contains much psychology. A massage therapist understands their patient through touch and the development of empathy. One unique advantage of massage therapy is that it is as pleasant to give as to receive. Scientific studies on massage have established that this therapy can lower an individual's blood pressure, make one feel more relaxed, relieve tension, soothe away headaches, relax tense muscles, or conversely, make someone more alert, depending on the stroke used. Well, I dare say the massage therapy started when the first caveman got bumped somewhere and knocked over and it started to rub that part of his body and found it helped as we do ourselves and our children tend to do automatically and later on when he found he couldn't reach it or somebody else rubbed it for him and felt better he decided to take advantage of that and go rub by others 
then it developed more in Europe and Asia, but more so in Asia, and was introduced by Peer Lind to Sweden back in the 1800s, and that's where it got the word Swedish massage, even though the techniques originated in China. And from Swedish massage, it evolved to remedial massage, remedial massage being basically Swedish massage, but incorporating specific remedial techniques for the part of the body that requires work, for additional work on the parts. If it's a neck problem, you'd do extra work along the neck. Besides the massage techniques, you'd include some stretches and uh, working along the spot. If it's a problem to do with the shoulder and shoulder blade, when you've got them facing down, you do some deeper work around the scapula, around the shoulder blade, getting quite deeply into there. You'd move it, you'd stretch it, you'd rotate it, mobilize the joint, including the arm. So that would be the definition of remedial massage as compared to Swedish massage. There is therapeutic explanation as to why rubbing uh, does have beneficial effects. It helps where there is injury, stress, overtraining, overwork, a very wide gamut of conditions are very beneficially treated. Then it became formalised in Europe when a doctor visited China, went back to Sweden and his mates around Europe were quite fascinated by this strange Swedish chappy who was rubbing his patients instead of giving them herbs because in those days the herbalists were the doctors. But because of uh, all these references to this Swedish chap, that is actually where the word Swedish sneaked into it. But Swedish massage, as it is practiced professionally, it includes a, a wide range of the different available techniques. There's very little that's new to it. The Egyptians, the Indians, the Chinese, uh, the Romans, the Greeks, they were all doing nearly everything that's being done today. A lot of what I do myself uh, is formally documented as being Mongolian warrior massage. Now, some people would set that up as a new modality. It really fascinates me when people do that and name the, the new style of massage after themselves. But uh, it really is almost unlimited. And the real art of it is to adapt that to choose from it what is really applicable to each client. Massage is not a physical art. Our students won't accept that at first. It's a mental art. Your biggest job is to assess what is going to help that particular person. Your hands will go through the motion, the same as they do when you're driving your car around the corner. When you're driving, you have to navigate. You have to think ahead, work out where you're going, what the traffic flow is like, which lanes you'll use, which ring roads you're going to try to use, etc., etc. You're doing the same thing when you're massaging. You're assessing. We're not allowed to use the word diagnose, that's a medical term. But you're assessing the person's condition. You're deciding what will be of benefit to them. And then your hands go through the work for you. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, to start off with, you need to slow down and get in tune with the person you're working with. Get some oil. I would choose the oil according to the sort of problem. But I do, you can incorporate specific essential oils included in your base oil. The base carry oil, which makes the body smooth and lubricant, can be any oil, but preferably vegetable rather than mineral. Now, to enhance it further, you may add some specific drops of essential oil for specific problems, such as lavender for more relaxing. And instead of lavender, you could do rosemary if you've got more 
muscular aches and pains or ever a wintergreen from aches and pains. So you'd include a few drops of that in the carrier oil so that it achieves a more subtle effect also. Start off with some effleurage, which are general flowing techniques, just to get the body for used to you to warm up the body, for you to familiarize yourself with the body and structure. Feel if there's any areas that are very tight and tense or any areas that are more relaxed, areas that need extra work. After you've gone through the effleurage, you'd go more into some uh, petrissage, some deeper work, you'd do some circular work, whichever feels more appropriate at the time. Follow the side of the spine where there's a thick line of muscles. Feel along there where you often find tight muscles. Then do some kneading, which is dough kneading type technique, moving, rolling around there to loosen those muscles up. You could do some pressure work on the spots there to release them, some trigger point therapy, whereby you work on specific points that will release the muscles. Then you could do some pressure points along the head to, re to relax the area in the neck, because the neck's quite a tense area. And you could incorporate some hacking or pounding, some deeper work along the pelvic region, along the sacrum, at the top of the hips, so that you can get in quite a deep relaxing, which feels great to the person receiving it, and is also freeing and relaxing that area. Shoulder problems. We've demonstrated some frozen shoulder techniques. A golfer that's strained his shoulder, can't get the distance, can't get the mobility in the area. A person through their work, either in a nursing situation whereby you're holding other people and straining your shoulder, or work situation, whether it be dental technician working over a table, a typist working constantly on a keyboard, therefore straining the shoulder of the neck, you would become cognizant of the specific problems and specific areas that need to be worked on. And you would work around the shoulder. You would work freeing the muscles around the shoulder blade. You would work on mobilizing the whole shoulder joint. And you would work along the neck area, which is all incorporated. So people with shoulder problems, people with RSI type problems, the area, neck, shoulder, arm, would all be incorporated and work quite deeply on those areas, find the specific muscles that require to be worked on and work on the stimulation and getting the energy flowing, the blood flowing, the lymphatic flowing, get, the, get it mobile. It's the same techniques, but selecting from them the uh, types of work that are more appropriate to your person whose problem is not depression or stress or heart problems or post-operative problems, but your person who uh, uh, nine times out of ten is the victim of a sports injury. Now your home gardener who falls off a ladder, uh, your housewife who has an accident with a shopping trolley, their injuries could be rated as sports injuries. They're the same injuries, a sprained angle or a, a twisted shoulder, a uh, torn muscle, a torn ligament. The sports masseur, he really needs a grounding in sports medicine, which is pretty high-tech uh, paramedic work at the uh, diagnostic level. Then he uses techniques that are appropriate to repair work from all those problems. And at the top level, where a major sports team has a star player who's injured, they want that person uh, totally repaired by next Saturday's match. And quite often it can be done, if there's enough expertise available, working on conditions which your average medical person who is not working with people with a dedication to do, say, four hours a day rehabilitation uh, follow-up, when they're working with the general public, they might look at an injury and say, well, I'm sorry, uh, 
you won't be able to use that arm again for at least six weeks. Now, it's not uncommon if there's enough uh, dedication by the person involved and enough expertise by the sports medicine fellow or a sports masseur uh, to get that individual repaired within five or six days so they can go out and do it to themselves again, or the opposition team does. What's some examples of uh, sports injuries that you could help with massage? Shoulder problems. One of the old favourites is a corpse thigh, or a Charlie's horse, as the older players would call it. Now that's where a bruise has occurred deep in a muscle. There's internal bleeding which can't escape because of the fascia wrapping. To the player, or the victim, or the truckie who's dropped a crate on his thigh, it just feels like a hard lump in the middle of the mass muscle, and they will implore you to massage that out. So the massage is back to normal and ready for 100% use in their next football game or whatever. And it would appear that that can be done. But what you're doing if you soften up uh, a lump like that, it's osteomyositis actually, you're pushing all that jammed blood that's come from uh, a blood vessel injury, you're pushing that through back probably into the lymphatic system or into the veins. You are freeing it up, but in the process you're tearing more blood vessels. The amount of internal bleeding will be increased, and if it can't escape, over the next couple of months, uh, that turns into an internal scab, which eventually calcifies, and they have an artificial lump of bone in the middle of their muscle until it's surgically removed. Now, that is common, but I'm pointing it out as something that an intelligent masseur would not work on. The things we do work on, quite commonly, are ligament problems, tendon problems. The ligament problems, especially around the knee or the ankle, are often because of proprioception nerves not being uh, efficiently tuned. And here is where massage people, as well as using their hands, they use their mouth, they educate their client as to how to use, say, a wobble board uh, to tone up their proprioceptive level of efficiency. This also applies to you, your ordinary housewife who runs once a year in the city to surf. If they have what they will call weak angles, just by explaining this to them, if they will then do it, make themselves a wobble board and use it uh, extensively for a couple of months, they actually reduce the risk of future injury. Then the involved ligaments that have been giving them so much trouble, sometimes for years, do get a chance to heal. So it, it's quite fascinating how much more a knowledgeable natural therapist can do in contrast to someone who will just run to a chemist, get some anti-inflammatories or whatever, which do wonders at the time, but don't remove the cause of the repetitive injury. Repetitive injury is a keynote in the, the sports massage and sports medicine work. Now one of the uh, styles of massage I mentioned was aromatherapy. Now both Roma and I are accredited aromatherapy teachers and we find it fascinating that the public conception of aromatherapy is so wide of the mark. It is not just an airy-fairy lovey-dovey, pleasant, nice-smelling adjunct to beautician work. Because of the history of its spread 
to uh, England and now Australia and America and several other countries. Uh, a lot of the people involved are beauticians and the ones who are treating it seriously make good aromatherapists. France was probably the leading country in this century in the use of aromatherapy as a serious, I won't say adjunct, but I'll say uh, uh, a department of medical work, especially during the Second World War when pharmaceutical products were unavailable. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of the people involved in France are at least chemists, a lot of them are doctors, their legislation actually limits the full application of aromatherapy to medically qualified people. Now, it gets confused by the fact that most of the literature available comes from Europe and most books on aromatherapy will recommend the ingesting of the essential oils. Now, in Australia, except in the hands of a medically qualified person, that is actually illegal. We may apply these same essential oils which are a very sophisticated version of herbalism. Your herbs are the basic herbs which people are fairly familiar with. The essential oils are a much more refined extraction, often from the same plants, but with very different implications. And the safest way for us to administer them is by mixing them in with the oils that we massage with or putting them in the uh, aromatizers or in any way getting it to the person's skin or to their lungs. And I must stress that it is medical therapy. It is not just the pleasant experience of smelling something that you like. You'll read garbage such as ylang-ylang being a fantastic um, aphrodisiac. Now the population statistics don't give us any evidence that there's an ounce of truth in that. Uh, this is very similar to homeopathy and uh, could be classed as a very sophisticated uh, side branch of uh, herbalism. Now in general with essential oils it's extremely dangerous to apply them directly to the skin and with a few of them very dangerous to ingest them. Now the reason is the phenomenally high level of concentration. They are the absolute essence of the various plants. The concentration rate for a rough rule of, uh, rule of thumb is that they're about 80 times more concentrated than equivalent herbs. Therefore they must be applied in extreme dilution and we're lucky about that because they're becoming very expensive. If you're going to use them by the bottle full per day you'd spend several thousand dollars per day Genuine rose oil, for instance, is uh, in the vicinity of um, eight to thirteen thousand uh, dollars per gram, uh, per um, kilogram. So you couldn't use that with the gay abandon that you might use lavender. But fortunately, some of these more expensive ones are so potent that in a bottle of oil that you're going to use for say half a dozen massages you may only be using four or five drops. But in general, in the course of one massage, you'll use perhaps half a dozen drops or maybe 10. And that'll be a mixture of probably at least three oils. 
It's a bit like music, they must harmonise with each other. Even three very nice oils might not give you a nice result aromatically. So you must get a mixture, a blend which is acceptable to the client and of oils which have properties that are appropriate to that client's needs. It's quite scientific the way the blends are proportioned and then even the choice of carrier oils depends on the quality of skin and the type of problem, whether you're working on the face or the body in general, joints, or for babies you'd use a, a different concentration again. It really is fascinatingly precise doesn't come across as precise because you just go to the client, ask them if they find what you're using uh, pleasant to them. But behind all of that, there's very sophisticated um, um, physiotherapy uh, assessment. First of all, we start by relaxing the foot, getting it flexible and mild, but, uh, dorsiflexing, plantar flexing, bending it up, down, in and out, getting the area generally loosened up and warmed up and getting a feel for it and letting the person get a feel for you and aware of your working on them. Then starting on the big toe, in the middle and the side of the big toe, that area refers to the pituitary and pineal gland, which are master glands controlling your body. And often these areas may be deficient in energy and you may feel that it needs further stimulation. So if you're working on an area and you feel that, if, that there's a problem in that area, you'd give it extra work. And the base of the big toe refers to the neck. If you've got neck problems, you will often find that it's very painful along there. Then going along the full length of the instep, from the big toe down to the heel, that refers to the spinal column. So working all along there, you'll find a few sore areas, which often correspond to the sore areas that are, in fact, a problem to the person. The lungs, the breasts, then you get onto the stomach, which is just below the ball of the foot. You can work on each of the toes, which are the sinuses, by working on the tops and the sides of each toe. It helps with the sinus problems. With the stomach problems, you can work on the stomach and large intestine area, which are on the inner step of the foot. The reflexology chart shows different parts of the foot which refer to different parts of the body. By treating these specific areas, you will help that part of the body. You'll also you'll diagnose it as well as treat it. Starting at the head, which you, is the big toe, by working on the pineal pituitary dip in the neck area, then along the inside of the foot, which is the spinal area. The middle of the instep towards the bottom is the stomach with the large intestine around it, the kidneys above it. You can work at the top of the foot, which refers to the breast area, on the back of the ankle area, inside and outside, referred to some of the sexual organs. So each area is specific, and by applying pressure, either sustained pressure or rotational pressure, you will treat that part of the body. You will help work on that, the problem area of that part of the body. So learning the specific areas of the hand and working on those will also help problems. It has been found that it's more beneficial in general to work on the feet than the hands, but you can work on the hands also to supplement the foot reflexology. If you've got Stomach problems, just work on the below the big toe on the ball of the foot, below the ball of the foot on below the big toe area. Work quite deep into the area, massage all around there, do it daily for a few days or a week or two and you'll find that there will be most probably an improvement. Another way of doing it for yourself is by getting a small ball like a golf ball. Put it on the floor and just roll your foot over it. It feels great and relaxing, it feels relieving and it no doubt is helpful as well.
We're not certain how it works, but there is an energy flow through the body. Peter Hastrich is convinced that it's alternating current. The aura photographs that you see that are taken with Curlian photography, it looks very much as though they are photographing the outward flow. But if it were outward only, we'd run out of energy. Peter feels that it's alternating. We haven't yet developed a camera that'll photograph the return. But it is interesting. The lines are not uh, like veins, actually planes that go through from the front to the back of the body. And that's what an energy meridian is. Your acupuncturist work on that along the way by using appropriate points to put their needles. You may have a liver problem and be a little bit puzzled that they're putting needles in your ear or near your ankle. But they're working at an appropriate point somewhere on that plane. Now the energy of our hands is also inducing energy flow and that can clear energy blockages on those meridians. Please don't ask me what a blockage is. If you were talking about an intestine, I could explain it. <coughs> but the Chinese medical people, in their own terminology, in their own concept of the body and health, they do use this term blockage. They clear it with their acupuncture. If you're lucky, you'll clear it with massage. A good reflexologist will clear it by their work on the hands or the ears or the feet. And although none of what I'm saying at the minute can be proven by pathology or x-ray, I know from the feedback from hundreds that it works. So it's all there for us to use if we uh, choose to seek it out. Bowen is a, a form of hands-on therapy where you're... Well, it's a treatment for injuries and, and, and problems. That, physical problems that people have and it's a very simple technique of releasing the blocks and, and tensions in the body to allow the body's natural healing processes to work. The, the type of contact that you have, uh, the way of working is very different to massage. It's, 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 it's about working on specific release points and it's, and it's working, approaching them in a very different way to, to all the other hands-on therapies. It's, the points are very precise and, it, and it, they cause the release of, of that area and there's very little active movement. You're not forcing anything. There's no um, trying to make things happen. It's, it's simply releasing the, these spots and allowing the body to open up. The person doesn't need to take off their clothes. You can work with them fully dressed. And the treatments are quite simple and, and quite quick. And you don't need to use oil like in many forms of massage. It's not a, a continuous flowing contact. It's, it's simply working a few, few points and, and then leaving, allowing the body's natural process of, of coming back into balance to happen. And that's why the, the breaks, as you see in, in that process, it, you need to leave a couple of minutes every so often. Just things to start to open up and release and unfold. And the tissue changes quite a lot in those little breaks. Now it's developed totally independent of 
of all the the eastern systems, the meridians and chakras. And the guy who developed it, Tom Bowen, had studied medicine before the war. Uh, I don't think he finished and didn't actually become a doctor because it was interrupted by the war. But he went on to develop this system. And as far as we know, he didn't have any knowledge of, of Asian approaches. When I started working in that session, I, I, the first move was on the, the lower back. Um, the patient had come to me with saying that he'd got occasional lower back pain. So I, I wanted to address that area to start with. And it's important to address the lower back before you can address the, the upper back because of, of the way the blocks work along the spine. Um, so he was um, obviously tight through, through the, the right-hand side of his lower back. Uh, I could feel that. And so I put the blocks in first, and I'll leave two minutes, come back, uh, and then much of the work is done by the moves that I, I did in that second part where I'm working, holding the point on the, on the just below the issue of tuberosity, where the, the bone you sit on. Um, and, I, and I move across just above the knee, and I can, I can feel the response when, when the move's working correctly uh, at the top of the leg. Um, and that sends the energy up into to the lower back and starts to, to really free that area and open it up. Uh, then I... Um, while I was, while I'm allowing time for, for that move to work, I started to do some work on his upper back. And again, I, I began with putting blocks just below the bottom of the shoulder blades, uh, across the spine there. And uh, he'd mentioned doing a lot of computer work. And so, you know, often people who sit at computers a lot of the time have, you know, problems with their upper back and their neck and they tighten up. So. Although it may not have been necessary to do the upper back because of his of a lower back problem, I thought, I'll see what's going on there. And he was very tight uh, through around, basically all around the, the right shoulder and the right side of his neck. Um, probably because he's, he's sitting slightly twisted and working at the computer terminal that way and putting that tension through the muscles there. And although it's not causing a problem at the moment, you know, at some stage later if that tension continues to build up, and he keeps using those muscles in that way, you know, it could lead to a problem. Uh, so I put in the blocks on the upper back. Again, I need to leave a couple of minutes to let that start working. Uh, in that time, I, I completed the work on the lower back, basically uh, moving across the, the edge of the, the gluteus muscle, the, the big muscle, bum muscle. Um, that also gives me a check to see if, if things have loosened up, because I, I can feel that, that that's had softened up quite a lot. And so I, I knew that things were starting to work there, and it had freed up. Um, once the, the, I'd left the upper back for long enough, I returned there. I did some work around the shoulder blades, just moving across the edge of the trapezius muscle, the rhomboids, the levator scapulae, all these muscles that, that so many people get problems with them, get seized up. And particularly on the right side, he was, he was quite tight with that. And so that, that move releases all those muscles that, that hold through the shoulders there and, and the, the upper back. Again, I left a couple of minutes, allow that time to work, uh, come back and 
move across across the where the latissimus dorsi, the teres minor, teres major, uh, cross over with the overlap of the fascial planes there, just at the, the bottom of the the uh, shoulder blade. Again, it's it's a move that it's also helping to free up that area, but it's also a move that allows me to check and see if if there has been the response that I've wanted in, in the other areas. Uh, and everything worked the way it should have. It, it all freed up. It started to soften up. I can after the two minute breaks, I can feel the difference there. The, the tissue is softened, and so then I I allowed that to settle in for a little while, and then got him to roll over onto his back, and I I basically done freed up the back, but I wanted to do a little bit more on his neck to free that up. And to complete the, the work on his lower back, I needed to do work across the vastus lateralis, the muscle that joins into the, the top of the knee here on the outside of the leg. By rolling across that muscle, I then sort of lock in all that work that I've done on the lower back. And I, again, on the, on the neck, I put in stoppers first to isolate the, the neck. I put the stoppers in at the, the base of the neck, around in these front parts, and at, right at the very top of the neck where these, these muscles that run up the spine join in to the, the back of his, head, his skull. Um, and I allow that to, to take effect for a couple of minutes, and I come back and roll across. It's about C3, C4, middle of the neck. Uh, roll across the, those lumps of muscle there to just to, just start those to, to unwind and to loosen up all through the neck. It was very tight, um, again on the right side, particularly at the, the top of his neck, where on, on the base of his skull there. And that often indicates uh, a build-up of, of rubbish in the system, toxins, you know. Often, you know, just drinking too much coffee, coke, all these sorts of things, uh, just the body's a bit overloaded. There are, there are specific guidelines of what you should do after a Bowen treatment, and, and it's, it's very important to follow those things if, if you're going to get the most out of the treatment. And as again we saw in that session, it's, it's very important how you, you get up after the session, because you, the session always finishes with the person, or nearly always finishes with the person lying on their back. It's very important that you get up slowly, because the, the change in, in the way your body is reacting can be immense with people who have got very serious problems. And it's very important, because, because the body's been released and all those tightnesses have been released, that you get up with your weight evenly on both feet at the same time. Because that then stimulates all those receptors in the feet, locks everything into place. It stimulates the brain and, and locks that pattern of, of everything being loose into your brain. Um, for the seven days following Bowen treatment, it's very important to not mix other treatments with it because uh, most things will interfere with, with the, that process of, of the Bowen treatment working through on your body, balancing out afterwards. There, so it's important not to have any manipulation or massage or uh, acupuncture, physio treatment. It's, it's also important to, to drink lots of water you know, the evening after the treatment. And, and one of the, the biggest 
things with Bowen treatment and, and very important to getting full results from the treatment is to, to get up every half an hour after the treatment until you go to bed that night. And that, because when we're sitting, the lower body is sort of locked in place and we really need that movement to, to release everything. Shiatsu is derived from Anna, which is a form of general massage which was carried out in Japan. It was not till this century, the end of the last century, early this century, that it was formed into Shiatsu as a specific healing technique in that it became more technical and rather than just a general anma massage it became a treatment following the traditional acupuncture meridians tsubo which are the pressure pressure points and by working along the specific areas and specific symptoms using the philosophy of acupuncture including the yin yang the kyo jitsu which are excess and deficiency on the areas you find which excess and areas energy wise and which are deficient you follow the specific meridians and diagnose according to the various ways available to us. We can work through the U points along the back of the body. You can work along the hara, which is the stomach area in general. Each area there uh, refers to a specific part of the body. You can work by facial diagnosing, looking at the face and seeing where the lines are on the face, where the, they reflect there. And each one of those has been found through years and years of practice to in fact indicate specific problems in specific areas of the body, specific meridians. If we talk about a heart, we don't mean your heart is malfunctioning, but the heart meridian, the area from the heart along to the little finger, and the various functions associated with heart. Heart being referred to as a fire element. Associated organ is the heart with a small intestine. And then there's the specific seasons that are flavors, colors being red, flavors, and all these things associated. So it's a very complex scientific technique for healing the whole body and amazingly effective. People find that it's, they worry that it's going to be too deep and too painful. But in fact, once you get in and you apply the pressure with sensitivity and awareness, the pressure is applied gradually and it feels very good and relieving with fantastic results. Within Shiatsu, we could start off using barefoot Shiatsu, which was just standing. You don't need to use a table for Shiatsu. It's done on a mat, so you've got good positioning and leverage a traditional futon, a Japanese futon mat. Started off by walking, using my feet to walk on the feet of the person I was working on, then working up the ankles, the calves and the thighs and up the back, still using their feet. And you can, contrary to what you may think in terms of walking on people, it could be a lot of force. You can control your pressure very easily and very well once you develop the sensitivity to it and you know exactly how much pressure to apply. That's it feels like the muscles receiving it with uh, and enjoying it and the person's receiving it and getting the benefit of. So work along the back and the arms using the feet. Then I followed up with working on the U points. I worked along the back from the neck, neck down to the sacrum and each one of the points along there refers to specific uh, organs and meridians in the body. There is the Chinese traditional technique which are much more specific which attribute a specific function to each vertebra, or more recently the Japanese Zenshiatsu technique that allocate approximately three vertebrae per set which work on these zones. And by working along them and feeling what's happening and finding whether the areas Jitsu, which is an excess, or Kyo, which is deficient, you'd work on those sufficiently as required either to sedate, which is to calm down an area that's over-energized, or tonify, to bring up the area 
that's deficient in energy. Now, where I was working, there was some deficiency of energy in the small intestine and the uh, kidney area. So we take care to work on there, feel it, hold it, let the energy build up. Whereas around the spleen area, there was an excess. You could use deeper energy, more force, more uh, deeper work on that area to release the energy and let it flow through. And then working on the U points to diagnose, you, after, you can also work on the hara. The hara refers to the stomach area between the pelvis and the rib cage. And all along there, each individual area, in fact, relates to a different part of the body, a different meridian, the same way. And first of all, you go around by, and it's there is used for diagnosing as well as for treating. Not only di by diagnosing, but we'll work on a treating. So by sensitively working around and finding the areas that feel like they're kyojitsu, excess deficient, you'd come, go right around and work on them. And then you'd come around a second time and work on the specific areas that need more work by either sedating them or tonifying them. And then you could work on other areas as required as well by working on specific meridians. If you find that areas show up as deficient or excess, whether on the arms, we are talking before with a heart meridian. If you find there's a problem on the heart meridian, you can work along there. If you find there's a problem on the large intestine, you follow that area. And the same on the legs. Follow the specific meridians. There's six on the arms, generally speaking, and six on the legs. And it depends on which ones they are that have the problem, you work on those specific meridians. Emil Vodder is a German who has developed a precise lymphatic drainage, but because the lymphatic system has branches all over the body, except a few very specialised, very small pieces of the body, uh, every time you put hands on lightly, you're going to affect the superficial lymphatic uh, vessels, and that is what is dependent on your immunity. Your immune system is governed by, or is the lymphatic system. And if your lymphatic system is really working efficiently to drain out, especially the proteins which get into the peripheral areas of the body and can't return through the vascular system, they return through the lymphatic system. And it's also the uh, part of the body which governs our response to invasion by bacteria or by other uh, unwanted material, either from external or internal sources. The capillaries of the blood system cannot get close enough to every fibre in your body to uh, drain away all the waste products that develop. Every use of a muscle, I only have to do that. Muscles of work, byproducts of work are then lingering in the muscles where they're close enough to capillaries, for the capillaries to osmotically absorb them, they'll carry that to the lungs and kidneys and cope with it. But the areas in between that are inaccessible to the cardiovascular system directly, they get flushed by lymphatic fluid. That seeps out, it's virtually some of the plasma from the blood. It seeps out from the blood system in between tissues and is therefore sometimes labelled interstitial tissue. It works like a sponge, picks up all the sludge in the world. You'll often see people with extremely grossly swollen ankles. It's because the lymph has been accumulating there, possibly for some physical reason it's having difficulty doing what it should do of getting into the lymphatic vessels. 
They then go through the lymphatic nodes which are spread through the system. There's purification there and quite some very uh, dramatic um, immune procedures occur there. But basically that fluid is carrying more waste product that the blood system has missed and it dumps it back into the, uh, into the veins just above the heart. By the time all that liquid, the used blood and the lymph fluid, goes into the first chamber of the heart, the two systems have come back together again. The heart, of course, then shunts it across to the lungs, then back into general circulation. And although the kidneys are small, they collect or process approximately 25% of the aorta's output on every circuit of the system. So everything I've been talking about from lymphatic drainage viewpoint, by the time it's through the body four times, it's been sent for a trip through the kidneys. But if it isn't working, that problem becomes residual. It can become gross to the point of preventing people from even walking. I have had a patient, his legs were so swollen that just their toes were peeping out of the front of the leg. Now the vessels in that case would have absolutely closed off. The uh, friend who brought that person to me didn't understand the science of it and unfortunately told her that I could cure her. Uh, about 10 years earlier I could have helped. But if those vessels shut down, in the olden days they were often cut off when any surgery of the lymph nodes uh, under the arm was done. Now, the blood taking lymph and putting it into the arm was putting it there and it then had nowhere to go. And that's why in those days, often subsequent to breast surgery, you'd see uh, women with their arm up on a mantelpiece, hopelessly swollen. Osmotically, there'd be a tiny seepage back to the body, but the blood the whole time, assuming the whole system is still intact, would be puffing the arm up. The surgeons have become more knowledgeable and they do that sort of surgery now, taking extreme care not to interfere with the lymphatic flow. The cupping is a traditional Chinese method of healing for working on areas that are excess rather than deficient. By getting the glass cups, which originally were horns were used, you need to create a vacuum inside the cup so by igniting the cotton wool with some metho on it and without any flame, there's no flame in, in it when you put it on the body, so it's quite cool and acceptable by the person. You put the, the lighted up cotton wool on inside the cup, quickly apply it to the body part that's required and leave it there for 15, 20 minutes. What you do is refer to the specific problems that there are and the specific muscular problems there are on the body to work out where to locate them. Somebody's got a cold or flu, you might use the first, second, third uh, thoracic vertebrae, which refer to the winds and to the lung area. If they've got a cork thigh, you might apply directly to the area required where there's the tightness in the muscle, and it will help with that. So it's for conditions of excess rather than deficiency excess, which meaning there's tension, there's fluid, there's heat in the area, and you're helping to open up the energy, open up the channels and let the energy flow through. It's very important for the practitioner to make sure that the surroundings are absolutely appropriate 
that the person is kept very warm because there's nothing worse than a massage where your body's all warmed up and then the body's left, that part's left exposed and then they get very cold. That feels dreadful, so it's important for the practitioner to make sure the room is warm and that the body is kept draped and is warm, that nothing they do is embarrassing to the person who's being massaged, that they never make any demand on the patient in getting disrobed beyond where they are comfortable, that they are always respectful of the sanctity of the body. If a person is going to be effective as a practitioner in hands-on therapy, they have to feel that this is a real privilege to be given the right to touch somebody else's body. And it is a sanctity that must be respected. You need to be very much aware of the way you're applying pressure to apply it with sensitivity and uh, empathy with the person you're working with, applying the pressure quite slowly and with consciousness so you know what's happening underneath the surface. Just pressing any old points, not going to have any positive effects because just if you suddenly press on an area with force, the muscle will contract, the person will feel negatively towards you rather than positively and will not respond to you. He'll clamp up and, re and uh, reject the effectiveness of the technique. But holding with sensitivity, knowing how far to press, and how much force is required to be optimal, which comes with experience and practice. It takes some years of practice to develop this sort of sensitivity. Now, fortunately, there's a very wide range of circumstances and situations where you can apply your massaging skill. If you're on the beach with a friend and they have an aching back or shoulder, you can roll them over on the sand and get to work. You'd be kneeling alongside them. In a clinic situation, you have a table. If you're doing home calls, you'll take a portable table with you. Now, that's all the routine, straightforward work. Then, to make it easier for the practitioner, some people have developed techniques of getting in a position where it's very easy to do their work. Standing at the head of a table, for instance, you can work down a person's back quite easily. In some ways, that's easier than working from the side of the table. It's tempting to climb under the table. <coughs> Excuse me. Have your knees alongside their shoulders, or if you're working up their back, your knees might be alongside their thighs. It puts you in a position to do extremely easy work up and down the back. <coughs> and most professional associations will warn you very seriously, very sincerely, not to use that technique. The reason being that with a person's thighs between your knees, in most circumstances you would find it almost erotic and you could very easily confuse the person on the table. So professionalism, um, ethics, all the necessary features that make it possible to blend massage, which is very personal and one-to-one, -one, it can be blended and put in its position in society, allowing for all the complications of ethics and moral outlook. Hopefully the side effects will all be positive, but that's not always the case. If somebody has been very static for a long while, say they've been convalescent after an injury, and they're just, say their muscles have atrophied, and they're just starting to get a flow of blood back through them, they're going to suffer quite a lot of nerve reaction to that. 
if it's somebody who's very sedentary and they suddenly have a massage and all the toxins are moved, they may feel quite sick the next day, but they will improve. If they have a viral infection like a cold, they may feel worse in the next 12 hours because the body is fighting that infection and the massage will speed up the reaction of the lymphatic system and therefore they probably will get rid of the infection more quickly but feel worse as it's coming up to a climax. It's possible to feel soreness or stiffness because of these reasons but that is unusual. Most people feel wonderful when they get off the table. They feel very relaxed. They feel improved in the whole of their body. They've had time to be cared for on an individual one-to-one -one basis, which is what all of our modern society is very lacking in. And they have had the experience of being cared for. And that is a very important aspect of massage too. Unfortunately, whenever you put an advertisement for massage in any paper, you will get the other sort of requests, which are looking for sexual favours. Obviously, there is a very big need in society for this to happen. We actually ran a clinic with three brothels within very close proximity to us, and constantly we were asked for that sort of favour because they thought we were another brothel. That still exists. We have fought very hard to get rid of it. There are still those who say, um, that was a good massage and now do I get some hand relief or some other sort of additional stuff where there are no extras in technically correct massage and we make that very clear. But yes, there is still some. It's not exactly a stigma. There is a far wider acceptance of massage as a health-inducing activity now than they used to be. The medical opinion has changed a great deal. A few years ago the sports medicines books that were excellent for sporting injuries and how to treat them had just a few paragraphs on massage saying it was virtually ineffective. The latest one has in every chapter what to do hands-on, what to do in massage. Increasingly all the world's sporting teams are taking masseurs with them as it means plural, meaning women and men, and uh, increasingly the role of uh, the work being done is being validated by pathology in America, in Europe and in Australia. The Institute of Sport, all of the major areas are aware of the improvement to uh, the results. The medical community's opinion of massage therapy varies according to the individual doctor. There are many specific doctors that see the benefits of massage, whether they think of it as being just a nice feeling for the person receiving it, a form of relaxation, a form of stress relief, a form of mobilization of the joint, which is at one level. Or they may look for more specific requirements for sports injury, for mobilization, for getting flexibility in the area, or a step further for specific problems, whether it be RSI, elbow problems, neck problems, ankle problems, you'll by massaging on the area or applying shiatsu to the specific area according to the philosophies or reflexology, you can work on those. But many doctors are not, many doctors do not think of it as being a healing technique, but just a general nice feeling technique. But there's many others that are now realizing the benefits and finding that their patients are coming back to them and saying, hey, that was great, that certainly helped me. And for things like headaches, neck aches, 
that it is beneficial. Because we are working on people's bodies and affecting their health, at times this causes medical people to ask themselves the question, are these massage people a help or a hindrance? And we've found, much to our delight, the medical world is learning at the individual medico level that the sort of things I've been saying are valid. One doctor that I'm very impressed with, eight years ago was a client of mine as a young university student. She is now a doctor and she was a client because she was heavily involved in sport, excessively involved in sport. Massage was a major need for her and she's now busily advocating massage. It's a mixed bag. Some of the medical organisations are fearful that we might be taking one-tenth of one percent of their profit away in 20 years' time. Some of them have pressed the panic button and instructed their members not to have anything to do with any natural therapists, but hopefully an enlightened outlook will prevail. Hopefully the f future will be very positive because I think in Australia and many other countries, but specifically in Australia, there are a lot more people aware of what else is available and when they're finding that they haven't had the results with traditional medicine and they're seeking further assistance, they will go to alternative therapists, whether it be by recommendation from friends that have had results, whether it's been from some uh, media information they've read in a magazine or a book or on TV, whatever it is, once they've become aware of the benefits of it and they've had proof, then they'll either come, they'll come back to themselves for more as required and when required, they'll recommend it to their friends issue so many drugs but to suggest that the person have massage as an alternative to taking drugs for headaches, drugs for tight muscles, drugs for sore necks, drugs for lower back, drugs for repetitive strain and especially drugs for stress related things where emotional issues have come into it because hands-on and essential oils are so capable of relieving those sorts of problems.